but Columbine, she whispered sadly, and now she understood a strange longing of her heart. Scarcely an hour back, as she ran down the wide porch of White Slide's ranch house, she had encountered the man who had taken care of her all her life. He had looked upon her as kindly and fatherly as of old, yet with a difference. She seemed to see him as old Bill Bellounds, pioneer and rancher, of huge frame and broad face, hard and scarred and grizzled, with big eyes of blue fire. Collie, the old man had said, I reckon here's news, a letter from Jack. He's coming home. Bellounds had waved the letter. His huge hand trembled as he reached to put it on her shoulder. The hardness of him seemed strangely softened. Jack was his son. Buster Jack, the range had always called him, with other terms less kind, that never got to the ears of his father. Jack had been sent away three years ago, just before Columbine's return from school. Therefore she had not seen him for over seven years. But she remembered him well, a big rangy boy, handsome and wild, who had made her childhood almost unendurable. Yes, my son Jack, he's coming home, said Bellounds, with a break in his voice. And Collie, now I must tell you something. Yes, Dad, she had replied with strong clasp of the heavy hand on her shoulder. That's just it, lass. I ain't your dad. I've tried to be a dad to you, and I've loved you as my own, but you're not flesh and blood of mine, and now I must tell you. The brief story followed. Seventeen years ago, miners working a claim of Bellounds's in the mountains above Middle Park had found a child asleep in the Columbines along the trail. Near that point, Indians, probably Arapahoes, coming across the mountains to attack the Utes, had captured or killed the occupants of a prairie schooner. There was no other clue. The miners took the child to their camp, fed and cared for it, and, after the manner of their kind, named it Columbine. Then they brought it to Bellounds. Collie, said the old rancher, it needn't never have been told, and wouldn't but for one reason. I'm getting old. I reckon I'd never split my property between you and Jack. So I mean you and him to marry. You always steadied, Jack. With a wife like you'll be, well... Maybe Jack'll— Dad! burst out Columbine. Marry Jack? Why, I— I don't even remember him. Ha, ha! laughed Bellounds. Well, you doggone soon will. Jackson Kremlin. And he'll be here tonight or tomorrow. But I— I don't l love him, faltered Columbine. The old man lost his mirth. The strong-lined face resumed its hard cast. The big eye smoldered. 
her appealing objection had wounded him. She was reminded of how sensitive the old man had always been to any reflection cast upon his son. Well, that's unlucky, he replied gruffly. Maybe you'll change. I reckon no girl could help a boy much unless she cared for him. Anyway, you and Jack will marry. He had stalked away, and Columbine had ridden her Mustang far up the valley slope, where she could be alone. Standing on the verge of the bluff, she suddenly became aware that the quiet and solitude of her lonely resting place had been disrupted. Cattle were bawling below her and along the slope of old white slides, and on the grassy uplands above. She had forgotten that the cattle were being driven down into the lowlands for the fall roundup. A great red and white spotted herd was milling in the park just beneath her. Calves and yearlings were making the dust fly along the mountain slope. Wild old steers were crashing in the sage, holding level, unwilling to be driven down. Cows were running and lowing for their lost ones. Melodious and clear rose the clarion calls of the cowboys. The cattle knew those calls, and only the wild steers kept upgrade. Columbine also knew each call and to which cowboy it belonged. They sang and yelled and swore, but it was all music to her. Here and there along the slope where the aspen groves clustered, a horse would flash across an open space. The dust would fly, and a cowboy would peel out a lusty yell that rang along the slope and echoed under the bluff, and lingered long after the daring rider had vanished in the steep thickets. I wonder which is Wils, murmured Columbine, as she watched and listened, vaguely conscious of a little difference, a strange check in her remembrance of this particular cowboy. She felt the change, yet did not understand. One after one she recognized the riders on the slopes below. But Wilson Moore was not among them. He must be above her then, and she turned to gaze across the grassy bluff, up the long yellow slope, to where the gleaming aspens half hid a red bluff of mountain towering aloft. Then from far to her left, High up a scrubby ridge of the slope rang down a voice that thrilled her. Go! Along! You! Oh! Red cattle dashed pell-mell down the slope, raising the dust, tearing the brush, rolling rocks, and letting out horse balls. Whoopee! High-pitched and peeling came a clearer yell. Columbine saw a white mustang flash out on top of the ridge, silhouetted against the blue, with mane and tail flying. His gait on that edge of steep slope proved his rider to be a reckless cowboy, for whom no heights or depths had terrors. She would have recognized him from the way he rode if she had not known the slim, erect figure. The cowboy saw her instantly. He pulled the Mustang about to plunge down the slope and lifted him, rearing and wheeling. Then Columbine waved her hand. 
The cowboy spurred his horse along the crest of the ridge, disappeared behind the grove of aspens, and came in sight again around to the right, where on the grassy bench he slowed to a walk in descent to the bluff. The girl watched him come, conscious of an unfamiliar sense of uncertainty in this meeting, and of the fact that she was seeing him differently from any other time in the years he had been a playmate, a friend, almost like a brother. He had ridden for bell-lounds for years, and was a cowboy because he loved cattle well and horses better, and above all a life in the open. Unlike most cowboys, he had been to school. He had a family in Denver that objected to his wild range life and often importuned him to come home. He seemed aloof sometimes and not readily understood. While many thoughts whirled through Columbine's mind, she watched the cowboy ride slowly down to her, and she became more concerned with a sudden restraint. How was Wilson going to take the news of this forced change about to come in her life? That thought leaped up. It gave her a strange pang. But she and he were only good friends. As to that, she reflected, of late they had not been the friends and comrades they formerly were. In the thrilling uncertainty of this meeting, she had forgotten his distant manner and the absence of little attentions she had missed. By this time the cowboy had reached the level and, with the lazy grace of his kind, slipped out of the saddle. He was tall, slim, round-limbed, with the small hips of a rider, and square, though not...